Yeah, my name's Grant. It's good to be here. Um, it's great to be up here. Uh, I'm going to be sharing a message I preached at the beginning of the year, sort of like a variation of that, um, following our night service we did on habits. Um, and at the time, I was sort of venturing into trying to start my own business. I was trying to take a little side road. I'm a trained teacher, and so I thought, you know what, I'll take the year off, and I'll try and start my own business, get something different going. I was keen for a change, and so I was looking into different case studies of other businesses, because I haven't done a degree, I haven't learned really anything, so I was trying to do it on my own. <laughs> so I was reading up on all these different things about branding yourself and, and having you know, your logo and your image and what they mean and why you, you know, choose certain types of colors and certain types of words to attract different people, and oh, I don't know, didn't understand half of it, but I pretended I did and I fluked it until I made it. So. I was reading this one case study, though, and it was, um, it was looking at McDonald's. And, you know, McDonald's has been around for a long time. It's been a very long time. And this particular article was looking at why McDonald's rebranded itself. Um, because often what a company will do to sort of bring about change or to revive itself or um, something like that, it'll rebrand itself, change its logo, maybe fire some people, hire some new young guns, and maybe change what they're doing a little bit to try and you know, ignite the fire of the company. And so they'll rebrand themselves. And so I was looking at this ca um, case study of McDonald's. Now, McDonald's was founded in about 1940s. And by the mid-1990s, it had risen to being one of the biggest fast food organizations in the world, if not the biggest. Um, it was at like the height of its career at that point. And so um, all of a sudden, um, within you know, 10 years, by 2001, not even 10 years, like five years, um, by 2001, their customer service was at an all-time low. The customer satisfaction, they were, you know, getting all these bad emails and, you know, phone calls, just really not liking, you know, you'd walk in and the, um, the restaurant would be dirty and, like, the customer service was horrible, the food was terrible, it didn't taste good, it wasn't nice. And by 2002, they had hit their first quarterly loss in almost 50 years, their first one. And so it was an all-time low for McDonald's, and so... Um, they were sort of, you know, re-looking at, like, how did this happen? Because less than 10 years ago, they were at the height, and now they're at the bottom, yeah. you know? And what they found is that at the height of their sort of, I don't want to say career, but at the height of their business, they had decided that they would push their name out as far as they could. And so they opened restaurants in every city they could. They opened, you know, as many restaurants as they could, everywhere they could. They, they were so stoked with how they were doing, they tried to get their name out there so that people would know who they were, you know? And so all of a sudden, what they realized when they were sort of reflecting on this is that they hadn't looked at what the stores were actually like. So they said, hey, we've got the best fast food in the world. They said, hey, we've got the best customer service. Come along, you'll get this type of burger. But they hadn't actually gone into the stores and made sure that that was happening. And so people will hear about McDonald's, and they'll go, wow, that's so good. They'll go to McDonald's and actually see that it wasn't that good at all. Like it wasn't what it was all cracked up to be. And so the, the, the customers were starting to fight back. And by 2004, there was a movie released, Super Size Me. And the movie aimed to directly attribute the rise in obesity to McDonald's. It wanted to come against McDonald's. And it, it succeeded, and the, um, the, the loss went lower and lower. And all of a sudden, McDonald's, where most companies would choose to just close down because they've had a good run. It's been 50 years. They've done pretty well for themselves. Let's just stop now. McDonald's thought, no, no, no. We're going to rebrand ourselves. We're going to try this again. We're going to come back. 
from this. And so you might remember one day walking into McDonald's and there's a salad in the menu or there's like water or like you can buy little bags of apple slices and it's like, what are you doing, McDonald's? Stay in your lane. No, they were trying to branch out. They were trying to fight back this perception that the public had of them. And so they were trying to say, no, no, we can, we can, and, you know, they redid their furniture, so it's all the glossy red with the white speckled tabletops, and they retrained their staff. They did everything they could to rebrand the image that the public had of them. And it succeeded, and they were able to fight back. But, you know, I was looking at this, and I was thinking, wow, we also have an image. We also have an identity. We also have a brand. See, what happened with McDonald's is that their brand identity no longer aligned with their brand image. And their identity is like their, their values, their beliefs, what they were advertising even at times. Their identity is who they were trying to say they were. You know, we, we were a company who believed in fast food, quality food, good customer service, all this different stuff. That was their identity. That's what they wanted to be known as. But their image is something that was defined by their public. And the image they had didn't align with the identity they claimed. And so there was a discontent or like a dysfunction going on. And so it all started to go downhill. And we also have a brand. You know, there's this, the new term, oh, it's not so new anymore, but it's been going around for a while, is the, the idea of a personal brand. And you know all the, like, the young kids and they're watching those YouTube videos of different people who are making money while they just play games or while they you know, um, talk about a subject and they make heaps of money from it. It's, it's that personal brand that, that this person is actually making a living by just being him, who he is. And we all have a personal brand. And our brand identity is our attitudes, our values, our beliefs, how we um, want to be seen, it's even, I mean, you just look at your Instagram account or your Facebook account. That's your brand identity. That's how you want to be seen. Your image, though, is how other people see you. And you can't determine how other people see you. That's their image of you, how they actually interact with you. Wow. You know, I was looking at um, one of my um, fellow teachers, her student, her child has an Instagram account. And it's like, um, it's got on it like, she's like 15. And, you know, there's, like, a little description of who she is. And she's like, oh, like, um, having the best life now, like, public figure, like, all this other stuff. And it's like, mm, you're 15. Like, really? <laughs> or, like, these other ones, and they've got all these top-quality photos. You know, those people who post, like, really uplifting stuff, like they're having an amazing, positive life, and the, that's their identity. And then you meet them, and it's like, you're actually a really sad person. Like, <laughs> no offense, but, like, that's your image. And so, and so their image has been... Is, what I'm seeing them, and their identity is what they're claiming, and if it's discontented, then there starts to be a fall. And, you know, I was reading this, um, this scripture, and I, and I think, you know, Paul puts it so well in Galatians 6, verse 17. He says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And, you know, what he was saying there is that we all have a brand. And maybe you're here for the first time and you're like, what, I have a brand? You've got your own identity and your identity might be defined by yourself. Some people have their identity defined by their parents. Some people leave their identity to be defined by other people. And they, they just wait for other people to validate who they are before they decide on their identity. But as believers, we have an identity in Christ. 
And Paul writes this, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus, is what another translation says. This one says the, the, the marks of Jesus. That's our brand. That's our identity. And we have the, the beliefs and the um, morals and the behaviors of how a Christian, that's, that's our identity. We're found in Christ. But see, the context of the scripture is that it was actually written in a time of slavery, and these people would be in horrendous um, conditions that have little food, that have, um, you know, made to work long hours, that have no sleep, that be chained and whipped and beaten. And so naturally, a slave who still has hope would try and escape. And, you know, if they were caught, they'd be brought back to their master and they'd have the um, letters F-U-G branded on their forehead for fugitive so that everyone who saw them would know that they were a coward who tried to escape. But if they somehow managed to escape, the first place they would go to would be a temple. And in the temple, there was always a priest who was on site 24-7. And they'd be banging on the door, you know, open up, open up, open up. And the priest would come down and they'd say, brand me, brand me. And so they'd come in and the priest would get out the branding eye and he'd, he'd brand them in three areas. He'd brand them in the back of their necks, at the base of their skull. He'd brand them on their wrists and he'd brand them on their um, at the, on the ankles, at the bottom of their legs. And so then, after a couple of days of resting and healing up, they'd go back onto the street, and if their master saw them, their master would go up to them and grab them by the collars and drag them back to his house. And, you know, as he's doing it, he's saying, I'm going to beat you more than I've ever beaten you. I'm going to whip you. I'm going to make you work until you die. Like this, everyone's going to know the consequences of trying to escape. And the this, this slave tries to shout, no, 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 look at this. And he shows them the brand marks and he shows them the branding and the branding. And the master lets go of him and says, I have no claim over you anymore. You're in the possession of a God. And so Paul's trying to say here, we've all been branded. And we weren't branded just so that we could have an identity in Christ. We were branded so we could have a new image of Christ. That slave didn't escape to be branded only to then the following days go back to his place and be chained up again. He wasn't branded so that the following days he could walk around, this, walk around town still chained up and being whipped and beaten. No, he was branded and not only did his identity change, but his image changed. He was no longer found in the same areas. He no longer did the same things. The way he looked and dressed, it changed and people noticed. Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. And you know, I was preaching this at the start of the year on sharing your faith. We were doing a series of habits and I had S and sharing your faith starts with S, so naturally I did that. And when we talk about sharing your faith, people, first thing they go to is evangelism. And as soon as you say evangelism, 90% of the church switch off their ears because they're like, I'm not evangelist, so I'm not, this doesn't really you know, have to do with me. But as I was preparing the message, you, know, you start seeing this whole new idea that actually your image, the way you present yourself, how you behave and act, and the way people perceive you is a testimony of the identity you claim. Wow. And so actually your image is sharing your faith. But the 
the most worrying and saddest thing is that we have so many people, especially, you know, I've been through university. I've seen so many people who claim to be Christian, but their image isn't aligned with their identity. Even in the workplace, I've done years in the workplace, and you see people who claim to grow up in the church, claim to still be going to church, claim to still be a professing Christian, and yet somehow the image they present is different to the identity they claim. It's almost as if you've separated the secular and the sacred. And what is sacred is done at church, and what is sacred is your identity. That's sacred, but what's secular is your image. And so you can have an identity in Christ, but an image of the world, and that's fine. The problem is that we are always sharing our faith. And so as I was preparing this message, you know, you look at these people who have an image of the world, but profess to be Christian. So what testimony are they sharing? When people hear that they're a Christian, but then see that they act different, you know, they they act just like they do, and they um, drink around just like they do, then they're like, well, what's the point of being saved? What's the point of be- becoming a Christian? What's the point of a new identity if you have the same image that I have? There's this um, scripture in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 16. It says, God is, um, or at this time, God is speaking to Elijah and, and he commands him to do this simple but very powerful thing. He says, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. And he's doing two things in that, in that scripture. He's saying, hey, anoint this person as prophet, which is real good. We can hear, you know, a prophet is someone who's in like a church community. They're in an area of believers, other people who believe similar things. And so we, we hear a lot of that, especially in today's time, you know, anoint this person for ministry or for evangelism or to, you know, something in church. But actually in that same scripture, God is saying, and also anoint Jehu to be king. And a king isn't found in church. A king is found out in the workplace. A king is found out in the work area, in the world. And so we can be anointed for church, and that's great, but we have also been appointed and anointed to go out into the workplace and be kings. And a king doesn't live like normal people live. I don't mean they've got heaps of money and they're super rich. No, I mean they act differently. Their very presence is different. They they walk around different. They hold themselves differently. Why? Because they know they have an identity in something different. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, there's a story. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely this, the Lord's anointed, stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. People will look at your image. People will always look at your image. What image are you showing? 
Even Samuel, first thing he did, he was looking at the image and he was saying, surely this is the one. But the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass, pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So we asked Jesse, are, all, are these all your, the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. And where are the sheep? They're out in the world. They're not in church. They were out in the world. He was just working. That's all he was doing. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. All he was doing was just doing his job. That's it. And you know, we have a lot of crosses in the church. We have so many people who are anointed for ministry, but so, pe so few people who are anointed to be in the world, to just go about their business and do their job, but have an image that people can see their identity through. God's looking for some people who are good at work. Like, that's it, at doing your job. Whether it's stacking shelves or serving customers, whether it's building or accounting, God's looking for some people who can work as kings, who behave differently, who act differently, who talk differently. Maybe they aren't the populist people in their business. Sometimes you can't be popular and have an image of Christ. Sometimes you have to talk a certain way. Sometimes you can't dress like the people, like other people. Sometimes you can't even be in the same environment because you have to think. And I don't want to place an image too high above what it should be placed. You know, a lot, heaps of people say, oh, don't worry about what other people think. And I agree with that to a certain extent. But I also think that we need to be consciously aware that people will use our image to identify Christ. And we can't help that. That's just the way it is. People will use our image to identify our Savior. And so we need, we need to be making conscious efforts to think, how am I behaving in this environment? Should I even be in this environment? Three of these people know I'm a Christian. Should I actually be here? If I'm trying to show them a true representation of who Christ is, should I be here? Should I be dressing this way? Should I be talking this way? Should I be trying to bring these people down just so that I can fit in and look cool and act cool and people will like me? Should I be talking with, you know, all these swear words and cuss words just so that I can fit in with my crew? Or maybe I should be trying to stand up and show people an image of the identity I have. You know, we have this generation coming up. And, you know, next year we're, we're planning on heading to the university and we have so many things there that we, we really want to do to just show the people that there's an image that's different to how they're currently doing it, you know? But there's this generation all the way up through to about 21, 22, Generation Z, who's at university now, who are going through schools now, who are in kindergartens now, the latest generation. 
And there was a study done on thousands and thousands of these students and children, and they found that 58% of them, 58% of them professed to be saved, born-again Christians, which is a high percentage when you think about other generations. That's, that's quite high. But 64% would openly swear in public and be fine with it. They are nine times more likely than any other generation, including millennials, to engage in sex outside of marriage. They are six times more likely than any other generation to lie on a regular basis and be fine with it. They are three times more likely to get drunk and gossip. It's a generation of people who believe that the only truth in this life is found through feelings. That if you experience different things and whichever one feels right, that's truth. Why? Because they've never seen an image of how to walk like Christ. Millennials and Generation Z were very well known for not listening to people. You probably have kids and you know, they, we don't listen very well to instructions, especially being a male, I'm known for that. I don't follow rules, the manuals or you know, instructions very well. But what we will do, one clap, what we will do is we will listen to your behavior and we will listen to how you act and how you actually live. That's what we'll listen to. And we have a generation coming through who are looking for people that they can model after. They're looking for people who have an image that's a testimony of their identity. Is your image a testimony of your identity? Is it truly? Ask yourself, at school, at work, when I'm hanging out with mates, when no one really is watching, is my image a testimony of my identity? We have a university where over two years a study was done and 80, they found 84% of them would drink alcohol on a weekly basis. Of that, half of the males in that study, half of the males would get drunk at least two times a week. One third of the females would get drunk at least two times a week. That's the university just down there. How can we be an image? How can we be show show like how can how can we be an image that's a testimony to our identity? What changes can we make so that we're truly showing people that there is actually a better way? We're not just saying it. We're not just reading scripture, but we're actually showing.